Have you ever thought about the things that people believe? I don't know if that has ever been something that's crossed your mind. But as I was in preparation, I got, I got to thinking and started walking down some of those pathways. I want to tell you something. There are some, there are some crazy things out there that people believe. And now I'm not going to speak to the 100% accuracy and truth of everything that I'm going to share with you. Although I will tell you, in my, in my study and in my research, these are the things that I discovered and that people believe them to be true. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. You can do your own research on your, at, your own, at your own pace, at, on your own time. But let me just give you a few of things that people believe. All right? First one. Did you know that there are still approximately 25%, one in four people still believe that the sun rotates around the earth and not the earth around the sun? I went, what? This is 2020, for goodness sakes. I think we've figured this whole solar system thing out by now. But there's still 25% that believe that. Listen to this. Did you know that some people believe <laughs> that dogs in other countries bark in different languages? I, I've got nothing. I got nothing. I, I don't. I don't know how to even. Old wives' tales. We've we've heard that phrase. Now I'm a little. I'm a little concerned about the old wives' tales. Are there young wives' tales? I mean, I don't. I don't know. But listen to some of these old wives' tales. You you will know some of these. Sitting too close to the television will cause blindness. <laughs> Here's one especially. I'm 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 connected to. Pull one gray hair out and two will grow in its place. Obviously, I have had a real issue with that over the years. Or here's another one. If you, <laughs> if you cross your eyes, they'll get stuck that way. All right, here's another one. I never heard this one. This is a new one. Carry an acorn around in your pocket and you'll live a long life. Here's the, here's the reasoning. An oak tree lives for hundreds of years. So you grab an acorn, put it in your pocket, you're going to live for a long time. So I'm going to try that one out, see if that one works. And then, wait an hour to swim after you eat or you'll get cramps. Yeah, we, we've heard that. I'm, by the way, none of those are true. But there are still people who believe them and we, 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 we posit them as being true. And then, here you go. Did, have you ever heard of the flat earthers? There are people that still believe that the earth is flat. Now, I'm not a, look, okay, whatever, if, if you do... I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm not sure what to say. Okay, some actually, some actually believe that if you remove the tags off of pillows and mattresses, the FBI will show up and take you to jail. They're called the mattress police, I think. I think that's something like that. One more. Some, some people are convinced that buying a product that a celebrity endorses means that that product is good. No, it's not, just because somebody says it is. Now, why do we talk about that? Because it's interesting to me what people believe. Michael Shermer, he is the founding and managing editor of Skeptic Magazine. Skeptic Magazine. And this is what he wrote. He said, and listen, and listen to what he, what he says. He says, I have, I have been asked to list the strangest beliefs that I've come across in my quarter century as a professional skeptic. Naturally, 
the criteria of what constitutes quote-unquote weird is necessarily subjective. So, I considered not just the, listen to this, I've considered not just the error of the belief, but the wider impact the belief has on society. I don't know if you, if you catch that phrase. The error of the belief. So what he's, what he's listing are things that have error connected to them that people believe, at least according to Michael Shermer. Now he is a, he's a professor at, at Claremont Graduate School. He's, uh, he's done a variety of things. The error of the belief. So in his list are things like ancient aliens, the Holocaust, people don't believe the Holocaust happened, creationism, don't believe it happened. 9-11, there's conspiracies around that. The end of the world, according to scripture. And, ready for this? And God. So what he's saying is that there's an error in the belief that God exists. So I would just run, run this out. You know, say, I don't have to be a scientist. I don't have to be a scientist to figure this out. That he believes that a belief in God or anything connected to it, i.e. creation, the end of the world according to scripture, um, heaven, hell, anything connected to God whatsoever, he would consider it to be in error. Things that people believe. Now consider this. Belief shapes every thought. Belief shapes every thought decision, and action. Therefore, what I believe is critically important. My belief, your belief, shapes, it shapes every thought, decision, and action. So belief is important. So what we want to do this morning is we want to talk a little bit about the belief, how belief sustains us. How does believing the right thing sustain us in the world in which we live, and I would say that if that phrase is true, which I do believe that it is, that every thought, decision, and action are connected to our beliefs, then our series, the core, Strengthening the Right Things, couldn't come at a better time. Because strengthening the right things is we need to strengthen what we believe. We need to strengthen what we believe. We need to understand it. So today we're going to talk about beliefs that sustain us. Well, I'm not going to take the time to read Colossians chapter number one. It was our, it's kind of our theme scripture for this series. We talked about it last week, and I encourage you to go online to listen to the message from last week. It'll help you give a little bit broader context. But we talked about, or rather gave the why behind why strengthening the core, the, why we strengthen the right things is an important thing. Because if we do, it's going to fill us with the knowledge of the will of God. It's going to give us the ability to live for and please God. It's going to empower us and assist us to endure things patiently. And it will always provide the reasons by which we can give God thanks for everything, regardless of the circumstance. So if belief, if belief shapes every thought, decision, and action, and, what, and if what I believe is critical and important... Then I need to ask, what is it that I believe? What do I believe? What is it that is shaping my thoughts, my actions, and my decisions? Now, we could take the next 30 minutes or so and walk through a, a variety of things that we believe, but we're not going to do that. We're going to have a little, little different approach to this. But here's what I would encourage you to do. 
I want to encourage you to go online to our website, go to crossroads.com, click on about, and then what we believe, and read our faith statements. You can read them. They're there for you. There are scriptures connected to them. And then at the bottom of that page, you're going to see a link to ag.org, which will give you the full 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. Our seven truths are based on those. All we did was just kind of condense them a little bit into seven more simplified statements. But read them. It would be a great exercise for you to see what we believe. And if you have questions, come back. We'll chat about them. But that's what we believe. And what's important for us today is that I want to talk for just a few minutes about maybe, I guess you could say, almost back to why do the beliefs sustain us? What is it that makes these to be a sustaining force within our lives? So we're going to take a few minutes and look at Paul's, a part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, before we read the passage, let me give you a little background. The, the church in Corinth was kind of, they were kind of messed up. Well, they were more than messed up. They were really messed up. And they had sent Paul a letter and said, will you help us answer some questions? So he gave them, they sent questions and Paul answered questions. He talked about how they were handling the Lord's Supper. He talked about spiritual gifts and love and unity within, the, within that church. So then he comes to chapter 15. And chapter 15 is really dedicated to the resurrection of Jesus. And the first eight verses really set it in motion. And that's what we want to spend a few moments talking about. Just the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 15. So take a look at it with me. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Speak to us. Encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you four things around the idea of beliefs that sustain us. First is this. A belief that sustains us are never out of sight and out of mind. They're never out of sight and out of mind. John Haywood was an English writer, 15, I think 1546. This is where that phrase comes from. That phrase, out of sight, out of mind, is 450 years old. This is not anything new, but every one of us have experienced out of sight, out of mind. For example, you'll be in the garage and you'll be rummaging around in something. You're going to pop open this crate and you start looking and you go, oh, look at that. I haven't seen that in 30 years. Where's that been? Out of sight and out of mind. Or you go to the grocery store and buy some mustard. I'm out of mustard. Then you get to the pantry and you open up the pantry and you find two other jars of mustard that are sitting there because it's out of sight, out of mind in the dark of the pantry. We've all done it. Out of sight, out of mind. The tragedy is when it comes to our faith and what it is that has produced life within us, it can become out of sight and out of mind. We take for granted that which God has done in us. 
and I would be just as guilty as the next guy. Let me give you an example. Psalm 100 and number 118, 118 and verse number 24. It's a verse you may know. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I wonder, don't answer this question. I wonder how many of us got up this morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to be glad in my salvation and what God has done for me today. I don't answer that question. You see, I wonder sometimes if our salvation and what God has done in our life becomes out of sight, out of mind. And therefore, our belief begins to shrink and it is not sustained because we are not remembering that which God has done in us. I want you to know, most of us, if we are followers of Christ, we know this. We have been brought from death to life because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is something for us to rejoice. It is something for us to wake up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, for today you saved me, and I am going to live rejoicing because of what you've done in me. You see, it's never out of sight, out of mind. You see, what Paul said He said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. We need to be, I need to be reminded every day of that which has changed me. Paul says it this way. He says, you stand on it. This is something that is our foundation. Our life is not based upon an idle philosophy or an idea of an individual. No, it is based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we stand upon that gospel, that good news that was preached to us. That is our foundation. That is why, frankly, we gather here this morning. It's because of our salvation. Not only that, we're saved by it. We're saved by it. I think about that whole idea of being saved. And if you've ever been to Disney's California Adventure and down near the pier, the, the kind of the, the thing that looks like San Francisco Pier 39 deal in that area, there's a bridge that crosses the lagoon. And I had never noticed this until recently. I walked across and I saw one of those life-saving rings On the other side of the fence, I had never paid any attention to it. I just happened to see it. And I thought to myself, well, that's a good idea. If somebody happens to fall in, you can throw that out there. For what reason? To save them. I want us to understand, every one of us, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, were drowning in our sins without hope, but we have been extended life from Jesus Christ. That is something that we should always let be in our minds, our thoughts, our words, every day. We should be rejoicing for what God has done in us. Why? Because we stand upon that as a foundation. Why? Because he has saved us. It's worth rejoicing. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that today. And never forget from where we've come, yes, but also never forget who we are in Christ. Peter says it so well, 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Look at this. God's special possession. 
that you may declare, and this is the part I want you to catch, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is something that should never be out of sight or out of mind. We are called to express the praise of God for what he's done in our life. The second belief that sustains us, they have value. The value is worth repeating. It has value worth repeating. I grew up singing this song. And some of you may know this song. It's a, it's a wonderful, last, it's a gospel song. Many of, many of us consider everything that was in a quote-unquote hymnal to be a hymn. Some are hymns and some are gospel songs. They have different purposes, different places. This is a gospel song. And here's, here's the way that went. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm just going to tell you the words. I love to tell the story of unseen things above. Of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, to be my theme and glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I want to tell you something. The story of Jesus never gets old, ever. We should tell the story of Jesus every opportunity we get to everyone who will listen. And not only should we, we tell the story of Jesus, we should tell our story and how Jesus changed us. And you see, what's so significant about what Paul says to the Corinthians, what he says is this. He says, I've reminded you of this gospel that I preached. And then he goes on and he says this. What I received, I passed on to you. So it's a story that he has heard, and it is a story that he retells. It is a story what you and I have received from Christ. It is a story that has value to be repeated again and again and again. And you say, Gary, that's fine, but I don't know how. How do I repeat this story? How can I do it in a way that... It just kind of synthesizes or summarizes the gospel in a short, simple way. You know what's so cool is that Paul has done it for us. Because in this chapter 15 is the earliest of creeds in our faith. What's a creed? A creed is just a statement of beliefs, things that we believe. You, if you have grown up in maybe a more formal setting or traditional setting, you would be familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Maybe the Nicene Creed, or maybe the Westminster Catechism. These are simply, these are ways to engage faith and understand what we believe. This is the earliest recorded creed in Scripture. And I'm going to summarize it for you. It's what Paul says. You ready? Here it is. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. There is the summary of the good news that Paul received and preached. This is, the good, this is the summary of the good news that you and I have. So when we tell the story of Jesus, here it is. Jesus died and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel on which you have taken your stand. That is the gospel that has saved you. That is the gospel that will sustain you. The belief in this will bring, will sustain us 
regardless of what may be swirling around us. And here's what's amazing is if you look back in the life of Paul, that's what he did. This is the story he told, Acts chapter 17, verse 2. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue, to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures, look at this, to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah, verse 16 of the same chapter. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus and the resurrection. Here it is one more time. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That is the gospel. That is the good news preached. That is the story worth telling and retelling and telling and retelling. And let me just add one more thing. Not only tell people the story of Jesus, tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus did in you. Tell them what Jesus has meant to you. Where you've come from and where you are because of Jesus. That is a story that has value to tell again and again and again. Third, beliefs that sustain us keeps the main things the main things. A belief that sustains us keeps the main things the main things. You say, what, what exactly do you mean? There are approximately, and this, is a, this is really is approximate, 300 or so denominations, groups that organize to worship. And this morning, there's, all of those are represented around the country, about 300 or so. There's maybe a little more, a little less. Now, what's interesting is if you take the top 23 denominations that have the most people, 23, six of the top 23 have Baptists connected to their name. Now, what's interesting to me, this isn't, a, this isn't a knock on anything. It's just, I just want you to understand something. Six of them have Baptists connected to their name. That, to me, says there's a divide somewhere. Now, here's what I might suggest. They, 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 somewhere along the line, the smaller things took precedence over the bigger things. One more time. The smaller things took precedent over the bigger things. And now to be fair, Pentecostals, we, we have our fair share of Pentecostal fellowships. Let me tell you something. And we have been just as guilty as anyone as being more focused on the smaller things rather than the bigger things. But I want us to understand something. The bigger things are Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That's the big thing. They are to keep our focus on the main things always. That's what will bring us together. That's what creates unity and harmony within the body of Christ. That which God is pleased with. There's a little known German theologian, but I love his name because it just kind of rolls off your tongue. His name is Rupertus Maldinius. I just love saying Rupertus Maldinius. Rupertus Maldinius coined a phrase in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. 
and in all things, charity. Do you, do you, do you see the power of that phrase? In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, diversity. But in all things, charity. What's fascinating about when Rupertus wrote this, Europe was in a mess. They were in the middle of the 30-year war. And in, that, in the conflict, the church was right in the middle of the conflict. Maybe creating as much mayhem and difficulty as any of the nation states would have been creating. And in the middle of that, this wonderful, godly man says, time out in the essentials, unity. Can I tell you what the essential is? Jesus died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. That's the big thing. That's the main thing. Because it is that that affected your salvation and mine. It is that upon which we stand. It is that that saved us. That's what will change our world. Not the little things. Not how we govern ourselves. Not how we do this. Not how we do that. Those are the small things. It is the main thing that needs to remain the main thing. I love what Paul says in Romans 15. He says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other. Can I just stop? To live in complete harmony. That's God's intention for us. It's to be in harmony and in unity. Look at this. As is fitting for the followers of Christ. Wow. Have you, ever, have you ever worn a piece of clothing that's just too tight? And you are miserable the entire day. When we are in disunity, we are not fitted well. You see, unity and harmony keep us fitted well. It, it, it's what fits the follower of Christ. It's that which others will see in us. Jesus prayed for the unity of those who would follow him. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that is in unity and in harmony. Let us do everything that we can to preserve our unity and harmony because it is that. That is a big, that is one of the big things that keeps us together just as this creed that we read a moment ago. And understand, let me finish the passage of Scripture. For followers of Jesus Christ, then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ <laughs> accepted you so that God will be given glory. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't look down at us and say, well, you're okay, you're okay, and you, no, 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 not so much. You, no, you, okay, maybe. There isn't, no, there, he looks through a different lens, doesn't he? Grateful for that. So understand, Jesus died, was buried. He, he rose from the dead and was seen as the essence of the gospel. When conflict and, and disconnection occurs, it follows this, and this is a phrase that I want you to hang on to. Jesus plus or minus anything is going to create disunity and disharmony. Jesus plus or minus 
anything. The message that Paul says is of highest priority. That's what he says here. In this passage, he says, I'm going to give you a message that's of first importance. The most important thing is to keep the main things the main things. And then lastly, beliefs that sustain us are securely grounded in the scriptures. Paul says it this way. He died according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. You see, Paul is not making something up. He is basing his belief and the creed follows out of what the scriptures have already taught. So it might be a passage of scripture. It might be a passage of scripture like this one. Isaiah 53. I'm going to take a minute and read it. So it's about a two-minute read. So hang on with me and watch and follow reading from the easy-to-read version. I found it just fascinating. So look at it with me. Who really believed what we heard? Who saw it in the Lord's great power? He was always close to the Lord. He grew up like a young plant, like a root growing in dry ground. There was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked, nothing we could see that would cause us to like him. People made fun of him, and even his friends left him. He was a man who suffered a lot of pain and sickness. Let me just stop for a second. Isaiah made this prophecy 700 years before Jesus came. This speaks of the suffering Savior. It speaks of Jesus, his suffering, the, the beating, the, the crucifixion, and even the resurrection is in the midst of this passage. Let's go on. He was a man who suffered a lot of pain and sickness. We treated him like someone of no importance, like someone people will not even look at but turn away in disgust. Fact is, it was our suffering he took on himself. He bore our pain, but, but we thought that God was punishing him, that God was beating him for something he did, but he was being punished for what we did. Wow. He was crushed because of our guilt. He took the punishment we deserved, and that brought us peace. We were healed because of his pain. We'd all wondered. He was, he was excuse me, we were healed because of his pain. We had all wandered away like sheep. We had gone our own way. And yet, the Lord put our guilt on him. He was treated badly, but he never protested. He said nothing like a lamb being led to be killed. He was like a sheep that makes no sound as its wool is being cut off. He never opened his mouth to defend himself. He was taken away by force and judged unfairly. The people of his time did not even notice that he was killed. But he was put to death for the sins of his people. He had done no wrong to anyone. He had never even told a lie, but he was buried among the wicked. His tomb was with the rich. But the Lord was pleased with his humble servant who will see his descendants and enjoy a long life. He will succeed in doing what the Lord wanted. After his suffering, he will see the light and he will be satisfied with what he experienced. The Lord says, my servant who always does what is right will make his people right with me. He will take away their sins. For this reason, I will treat him as one of my great people. I will give him the rewards of one who wins in battle, and he will share them with his powerful ones. I will do this because he gave his life for the people. He was considered a criminal, but the truth is, he carried away the sins of many. Now he will stand before me and speak for those who have sinned. 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, this is what Paul would have looked back to 
and said, I'm going to proclaim to you something. I'm going to give you something according to the scriptures. So you see what a powerful, powerful scripture. Once again, Jesus died for our sins and was buried. He was He rose from the dead and was seen. A belief that sustains is one that is built upon the authority of God's word, not upon opinion, not upon what is popular, but built upon the authority of the now always consistent, unchanging word of God. Peter would say it this way, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And listen to this, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how do we do this practically? Well, I think when I look at a belief that sustains, there are three things that immediately come to mind. First, we got to know, we not, we have to know what we believe. We've got to know what we believe. So I'm just going to ask that question. Do you know what you believe? And if you don't, find out, find out. That's number two. That's Study what you believe. Have some curiosity. Begin to study. And then lastly, practice what you believe. Now, let me give it to you, take it one more step more practically. How do we practice what we believe? First of all, you're practicing what you believe by being here this morning. You're allowing the presence of God through the preaching of his word, through the time of worship, through prayer, through the interaction that happens here. You are allowing... You're allowing the beliefs that we hold true and we proclaim to get into our hearts and become real to us. We must practice what we believe. And so I want to encourage you again, as Hebrews would say it so much better than I could, some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. That is so important We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. The second way that we do this, the way that we practice this, that we we know what we believe, we study what we believe, and we practice what we believe. The second part is this in life groups. We're signing up for life groups today. I, I cannot stress to you how important they are. You say, well, Gary, why are they important? Because iron sharpens iron. The opportunity to have a conversation about something you don't know. That's why starting point is so important. You want to have a conversation about faith? Get in starting point. Because you have an opportunity to have a conversation about faith. But if it's not starting point, it's it's your local group. It's the group that has connection to you. Understand what happens. You're in that group and you ask the leader, I have a question. This is what's going on. He says, I don't know what to do with that. And another person pipes in and says, well, I don't know what to do with that either. That's the same question I have. And then your leader says, well, I don't know what to do with it either. You say, well, what does that mean? Then your leader will say this, let's find out together. Let's study what God's word has to say. Let's go deep. Let's figure this out until we come to a place of understanding. That iron sharpening iron will grow us and it will become a belief that will sustain you. And then lastly, just so this thought, life is better connected. Don't ever forget that. Sign up today. Be a part of a life group. And then lastly, we serve. How do we practice it? As we serve. We serve. We give of ourselves. Paul said to Philemon, verse number six, and I'm praying that you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. That phrase, the generosity that comes from your faith. 
understand that is generosity is more than just the giving of resources. Generosity is everything that God has given to you. How are you generous with that which God has given you? Your abilities, your resources, yes, but your time and your talent. You give that. Be generous with that as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So one final time, one final time, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Let that be the foundation of your belief and it will sustain you. And then we'll be able to say, and I love what Paul says to Timothy. He says, I know whom, look at that, I know whom I have believed. Here it is. I know whom I have believed. And look at this. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have committed to him. Trusted to him against that day. Let me encourage you. Beliefs will sustain you. Know what you believe. Study what you believe. Practice what you believe. The beliefs that God puts in our hearts that we have unpacked this morning. It'll sustain us. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the honor and praise in your name.